And I tell you what, uh, that, that video says it all. This is what it's all about. Now, the great thing is, is that a lot of people want to hear what it's all about or want to celebrate what it's all about. And so if you have a seat next to you that doesn't have a warm body in it, if the body's cold, just push it down and, and we'll take care of that one later. But uh, make space. If you, if, you have, if you have an empty seat, raise your hand so there's people in the back can find, uh, find a seat. Maybe just onesies. But we'll take onesies, all right? Hold up your finger maybe if there's one or two next to you. And these ushers, fine, fine ushers, will help get people to their seats. We'll continue right on. So uh, there's a couple down here in the front. Uh, the best seats in the house, all right? Uh, take your Bibles. Be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be there in just a minute. Uh, but let me just say this, that this is more than just another religious holiday this is something that we have given our life to. Lori and I, for, for over 20 years, is something I've given my life to before even marrying Lori, that this is, this is it. This is what I'm banking on. Now, we're all banking on something. We're all believing in something out there. So what are you banking on? I'm banking on this, and, and, I've, and I've, asked it, uh, I've asked the Christian faith a lot of serious questions along the way and, and, and haven't let up about that. And we've been asking the Christian faith the past uh, couple of services, if you were with us, if you were with us last Sunday when we talked about why the cross, if you were with us uh, last uh, Friday night when we talked about why the suffering and all that behind that, couldn't it have been a little cleaner? I mean, after, if, if God's in control, think about it. I mean, this doesn't take rocket scientists, but if God's in control, why did it get so messy? Why did it get so convoluted? Why did it get so ugly uh, there for a while? And again, that's stuff we talked about last week. And asking these why questions are, is very healthy. And you know that because your kids ask you the why questions all the time. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced uh, that or maybe to this degree, but I want you to watch this video and maybe some of y'all can identify with the why questions that get asked us from time to time. Why? Because the porch needs some work. Why? Because plants need water to grow. Why? Because baseball's played in the summer. Oxygen and hydrogen. Gravity. Because that's just the shape of my head. Because monkeys don't get married. It's complicated. Because I forgot to get a receipt. I don't know. Why? Why not? Why? Why don't you go ask your dad? Why? How many of you all have ever told your kids, because I said so, that's why? Raise your hand. All right. That's a good enough answer for me. It worked for my mother. It works for me. But yeah, go ask, the, ask your dad. Uh, the why question. Uh, the why question of, of the cross. We, again, we dealt with that. But uh, just, to, just to review, to think about it for just a moment, sin is death. Get that in. Get that down. Get that big plane and straight. Sin is death, and therefore the payment of sin must be made. All right, so there's a payment that must be paid. Again, I'm not going to relive last week's message, but even in, in this week's 1 Corinthians passage, it even speaks of that the sting of death is sin. There is a sting with this thing. There is a venomous bite that comes with sin, and it cannot be just canceled out. It must be paid for. And so think about it like that. In fact, in Africa, we killed a lot of snakes when we lived there. Uh, we had a, a Mozambique spitting cobra in our front yard at one time. And uh, I can remember killing it with a machete. Now, thank God, it had already spit at the dogs and the dogs were blind. And, and I, I didn't get blind. They got better. Okay. I'm not, I, I am, I do like dogs. But uh, it was one of those things that I don't, only good snakes are dead snake in my, in, in my book. And so I don't like venom. I don't like the bite of venom. Sin has a bite, 
that you may not feel now, but it is a digressive part of life that can take an entire civilization down. Again, last week's message, not going to go back there this week. Why suffering? Again, Friday night, we talked about it here, about why the messiness, why, why the gross R-rated elements of suffering. Because God's wrath must be satisfied. That's the number one reason. Now, you, you finish this statement with me, okay? God loves the, excuse me, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Okay, we have got a lot of personal therapy through that process, through hearing that ourselves, saying that to ourselves. God hates the sin, but he loves the sinners, and we're all sinners. And there is tons of truth to that. But let's dwell on the first part of that first. God hates sin. He hates it. He despises it. He wants to kill it. He will do everything he can to squash it. And so, therefore, it had to be dealt with. And his wrath was angrily poured out to the point that he turned his back on his own obedient son. Now, just dwell on that one for a while. And deep sin requires a deep pain. It requires deep pain. Listen, if you have a broken arm, putting a Band-Aid on it won't fix it. If you have cancer, taking two Tylenol, not going to fix it. You're going to have to go for the big stuff. The only way you're going to deal with sin is the big stuff, and it's going to be great pain. So therefore, the suffering had to be there, and Christ experienced all of that for us. But now let's go to the day. This is why we're all here. Why the resurrection? It's why we all put on pastels and, and get dressed up. It's why we come together as a family. It's, it's why it's still kind of a sacred weekend. It's why we show up at church. Why the resurrection? Why is it so important? And that's what I want us to, to, to break down today. And so take your Bibles again in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, you'll have the words on the screen if you don't have it. But let me just say this. The resurrection conquers death, hell, and the grave. It conquers everything, hear this, that conquers you. Death conquers you. I don't care how fit, how, 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 how young, how, how healthy you are. Death will conquer you. Hell is a reality for us all unless there's an answer on the other side somehow, some way. The grave is a reality. So the resurrection conquers all of that, is the antidote to all of that. And so I want us to dwell in on that. If we don't have the resurrection, listen, Jesus was just a good prophet. We don't have the resurrection. He was just an amazing physician that could do some really cool stuff with mud and dirt and spit and all that kind of stuff. He was able to do things that we can't even imagine and even answer for today. But that's Jesus. Again, if without the resurrection, we're, we're in trouble. So if you have your Bibles and you're looking at 1 Corinthians, we were there last week. We're in verse, chapter 15. And let me just read the first part of this because this is important. It's obviously important whenever you kind of peel back on what he's saying here. Now that I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, this is the gospel, okay? What I'm about to say, you've heard people talk about the gospel. Have you shared the gospel? Do you know the gospel? We have the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel, the gospel, gospel. Many people don't know what the gospel is. Paul said this, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preached it to you. You received it. You stand on it by which you're being saved. It's everything right there in the gospel by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
So what is the gospel? It still didn't define it for us. Verse 3, for I delivered to you, this is what the gospel is, the first importance, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas uh, and, and to the twelve, and, and it goes on. And Before we go there, I just want us to just rest on this. What's the gospel? So when you walk out of here and you're asked by your three-year-old about the gospel, why the gospel, what is the gospel, you could say it was that Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was buried, but Jesus Christ came back to life again. And if we understand the power of that resurrection story, it, as the video said in the beginning, it changes everything. And if the resurrection isn't there, we are in a heap of trouble. Now, let's just develop something here because I, I said from the beginning, this series of messages is for the skeptics. And I don't know, you may be a skeptic here, and you're thoroughly and completely welcome. If you're a skeptic, you have this is the place you need to be today, okay? Not because you're going to be berated, but because I have a tender place in my heart for skeptical people, people who are skeptical about the gospel. So this is a good place to be. And what we do here in the very next verses is he helps the skeptic get a little further down the road. Because for some of us, we just can't swallow the resurrection. How did that happen? I mean, seriously, nobody's been dead for three days, come back to life. Really? Are you, you, you've got to be kidding me. And the reality is, is that there were so many eyewitnesses, you can't refute it. You may not be able to explain it, and I can't, I can't explain it to you. I can't justify it, and I can't. No. But the reality is it happened. It had to have happened. There were too many witnesses. It said, see if, uh, or Cephas saw it, which is also Peter, or the twelve. In verse 6, notice there, he said, appeared to more than 500 brothers. Now, that's more than, 500 is more than we have in this room right now, Okay. Now, you think about it for just a moment. I might be able to convince half of you to go in full speed with me on a lie. And I might even be able to dissuade some of you guys over here. But I know this is the really smart crowd over here. And they're not going to believe the lie. Or, or maybe I convince all of you but one. 500 people? There's no way. There's going to be somebody who's going to rat me out. All right? The reality is, is if you can see 500 people having seen the same thing again and again, there was no hallucination, there was no fabrication, there was nothing going on. This was truth. This happened right before their eyes. And it goes on to say, even the half-brother of James, in verse 7, and the apostles, and even Paul goes on to say, I even saw him. But this doesn't even include the ones in John and in Matthew. When the Marys went and they saw him, and the seven disciples, and the fishermen saw him. And there were so many, and the 120 people who saw him on the day of Pentecost, physically resurrected. This is real, my friends. And we're going to come to it in a moment, and we're going to kind of help establish that a little further. But I want to ask the why question again. In our time remaining, I want to shoot to you very quickly six reasons why we can't live without a resurrection. So I want to reverse it, okay? I don't want to just talk about why the resurrection. I want to pretend, if you will, the resurrection didn't happen. So we're all in this room today, and I, and I tell you, the resurrection didn't happen. So let's pretend for a moment what that would mean, all right? And I am pretending because I believe it happened. So if it didn't happen, what would that look like for you? Well, one thing you, for you and me and all of us included is our message 
that we declare, that we call ourselves Christians, that we're a follower of Christ, and our message is meaningless. It's, it's void of meaning and substance. In, 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 he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 15, verse 12, follow along there, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if, here he goes into the hypothetical, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Listen, we have a message that is empty, void of substance, has no backbone to it. It is nothing. It is zero. Dr. Sam's James was in, Kos uh, in Kosovo back in um, 1992 after this uh, our, uh, uh, after this uh, uh, horrible genocide that was going going on, Costa Rica, excuse me, and he was in Costa Rica after this horrible genocide had happened. Now again, you have to kind of go back and Google it on the internet. But in 1992, you'll find that there were thousands of mass graves, thousands of people, excuse me, in mass graves, and that they were Southern Baptist missionaries were feeding thousands of people who were displaced and homeless. In a matter of two weeks, listen to this. There were 300 babies born. Two weeks, 300 babies born. It was due to rapes that soldiers had come in and killed the fathers and the children and raped the mothers. It was a disaster. Sam James was there feeding the people along with many of the others, feeding the people, trying to give hope and healing to the people. It was a sad, pathetic case, and it only got worse. As he was talking to one of the imams, because it's a Muslim area, as he was talking to one of the imams about the incidences and the women and what's going to happen to the women, and we're going to help these women out, aren't you? Really, aren't your people? And he, the imam said this, according to our faith, all these women that have been raped and given birth to children that are illegitimate, they're unclean, and their husbands can kill them, or their fathers can kill them. It's right and it's just. That's their faith. Listen, Sam James lit a fire in his soul, in his, in his bones, to get the good news, the hope. Of, there is hope out there. You don't need to kill people. You can be clean. There is, this, this can be righted. You don't have to kill someone. Somebody's already died. And the, right, and the wrong can be justified because it has, excuse me, the wrong can be righted because there has been a person who's given their life for this. It's a very sad day, but we have a message in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives hope to the hopeless. That's the good news that we carry with us today and every day. Number two, I said I want to hit these really quickly. Our faith is futile. If there's no resurrected Christ, what we're about here is absolutely wasting our time. He says it twice. He says in verse 14, our faith is in vain. He says in verse 17, our faith is futile. Faith is important. Let me say this to y'all. If I've lost you already, please zone in back. Okay, come on back. Listen. Everyone in this room has a faith in something. You have a faith in yourself. You have a faith in Allah. You have a faith in Buddha. You have a faith in your career. You have a faith in something. Your faith, my faith, is only as strong as the object of our faith. I'm anchored to something, okay? You can be in here today and be a skeptic and all that kind of stuff. But listen, you're anchored to your skepticism. And if your skepticism goes down, guess what? Your faith goes down. Your life goes down. 
Some of us put faith, more faith in a relationship than we do in a faith in God. And when that relationship tanks, guess what? You just tanked. Our health, when our, when our health goes down, we tank. What are you anchoring your faith to? And here's the beauty of the resurrection. It gives us something to anchor to someone that conquers death, hell, and the grave, that beats every excuse that is out there. You have faith in me, I'm going to fail you. You have faith in Jesus Christ, he will not let you down. Jesus Christ is that faith link, that bridge that links us to God. That's the good news here. We get linked to God through this. I want you to hear this, these words, Romans 10, verse 9. That if we confess with our mouth, all right, just throw it up there. Matthew 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, believe, believe, that's the faith. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the resurrection. See, the resurrection has to be in there. You will, what happens to you then? So what happens? You'll be saved. Based on your belief anchored to what? A resurrected Christ. If you're anchoring your life to anything else, you're only as strong as what you're anchored to. So please dive into this. Read with me out loud Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Listen, God's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. But he's going to offer himself to you. And he's going to make things right with you and God. He's going to bring justification to your life, rightness to your life, if you choose to follow him. If you go your own way, you snub your nose to him, you, you call your own shots, you anchor your faith to something else, job, career, relationship, whatever, you're only going to be as strong as you're what you're anchored to. I encourage you, I strongly implore you to consider a risen Savior as something you need to anchor your life to. Number three is our lips are lying. We're absolutely committing perjury, if you will. It says in verse 15, he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. If, if Christ isn't risen, listen, I'm a liar up here. I'm a hoax up here. So are you when you go out into this world and call yourself a Christian. If there isn't a resurrected Christ, we're no better than a false religion, some cult out there. The difference between us and Buddhism, the difference between us and Islam, the difference between us and any other religion in the world is that we have a resurrected Christ. And if we don't, we're just like everyone else. It makes a difference. It makes all the difference in the world. Now, some people have a really hard time with this because they have a hard time rationalizing it. I talked to you about Josh McDowell last week. I could tell you about Lee Strobel, a former atheist and was uh, uh, the Chicago Tribune's uh, senior editor, legal editor for the papers. Was an atheist, becomes a believer. When he went out to disprove Christianity, let me tell you about uh, attorney Frank Morrison, who went out, he, was, he believed in Jesus, he just didn't believe in the resurrection. He believed that maybe it was um, a fabrication that was put on to the ending of Christianity and that really it didn't happen, okay? Until he got in and he started tearing it apart like an attorney, digging back in the evidence. And he wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone? The first chapter of the book is the book, that, the cha excuse me, the book that refused to be written. 
See, he wanted to disprove it. He couldn't believe it. But it matters. And he, once he realized it, listen, this is a book that can't be written. There was a stone. Christ was there. Somebody moved it. He came out. All right, also, uh, Lord Darling, the former chief justice for England, in England said this, There exists such overwhelming evidence, in positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring to a verdict the resurrection story is true. Now, please, I know there's some very intellectual people in this room today. And as intellectual people, sometimes we struggle with getting past this. I can give you research after research of how the evidence proves there wasn't resurrected Christ. It is simply true. Will you anchor your life to it? It's not a lie. Will you give yourself to it? Listen, the resurrection frees us of perjury and keeps truth on our lips. It gives us a message of truth to share. Number five, the, the fifth reason is, um, is uh, excuse me, the fourth reason is that our sins continue to stain. He says, you're still in your sins, verse 17. You're still in your sins. Now, I don't know what it is about America right now. In fact, Joshua was telling me he was watching, he's a 13-year-old, he was watched this entire series of shows recently on zombies. Uh, what is the fascination with dead people? You know, I don't, I don't know. Any zombie watchers in here? All right, nobody wants to, okay, there's a few at men, okay, we'll do that. Uh, did anybody see the Abraham Lincoln movie recently? Not the, I'm not, not the, okay, there's two of them, okay? There's the fake one, uh, the zombie one, and then there's the, or, or Vampire Slayer or whatever. Well, I don't know what it was. See, obviously, I don't watch him. You don't have to raise your hand on that one because that would be a bad confessional, I think. But um, I, I personally think, I, I actually really think deep in my heart that we're like zombies if there's not a resurrected Christ. If there's not a resurrected Christ, we're dead people walking. We're, we really don't have a life. We're living and we're existing, but we're, we're, we're dead in our sins. In fact, all of us know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, da, 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 you know it, okay? If you believe in Him, you'll not perish and have everlasting life. We know that. We love that. But what about John 3, 18? Have you ever dove into that one? John 3, 18 is a little bit more disturbing. He who does not believe is condemned already. Now that, that last word, he who does not believe is condemned already. Listen, it's like this. If you're not a follower of Christ today, I'm not, listen, the Bible says it, not me. You're walking dead. You are literally functioning in a world. And you're skipping through tragedies and triumphs and victories and failures. But you're the walking dead. You're condemned already. That's a horrible state to be walking around in. A story that came out, you know, several years ago when the NASA Columbia explosion happened and the re-entry back into our atmosphere. It was all in the papers. It was everything on the news in January of 2003. And uh, you still remember where you were in places like that in these epic moments. After going in and doing the research on what caused the Columbia explosion, it was a pretty sad tale because actually, actually when, the, when, when the shuttle took off, there were some heat sensor panels that were on the sides of the shuttle 
that actually help protect it so when it's entering back and going through the atmosphere uh, that, that it actually doesn't burn up. Obviously that failed. Well, actually, after restudying it and looking very closely at the images as it was leaving, uh, leaving our atmosphere going into orbit, they actually found that some of those heat sensor panels had fallen off. And so they were out in space without these, these panels that were going to protect them from re-entering. Now, if they had known it, could they have fixed it? That's the next question. Because in reality, according to NASA, they couldn't have. Because, this is what was, what was revealed in the research, they didn't have enough fuel in the shuttle. It was a very scaled-down excursion. They didn't have enough fuel in the shuttle to get them to the space station and back home again. So they couldn't get there, repair it, and all that kind of stuff. They, they didn't prepare on this trip for any of the astronauts to do a spacewalk. So they didn't have all the right equipment, all the right extra parts, all the right tools to go out and to do a spacewalk if they had known that the heat sensor panels were gone. And even though in January this space shuttle was fully renovated, by the way, and everything was put back into place, except an external docking arm that would have enabled another space shuttle to come up and dock with them and then maybe some other space astronauts come out and fix it because they didn't put that in because they weren't going to use it on this trip. The three possible options to fix this fatal problem was gone. So these, these astronauts literally lived and did their mission and re-entered back into our atmosphere but only to be burned up and to face death. And the sad reality is I think that's not so far of a picture away from many of us. We live, we do our mission, we live our life. All along there is a very vulnerable part of our soul that could be fixed but it's not fixed because we're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Don't be a part of the walking dead. The empty tomb enables us to escape certain and eternal death. That's the good news. Number, number five, uh, it's our, our, our death ends with destruction. There's no hope. Listen, I, I, I know this may be a little hard on Easter Sunday, and it certainly doesn't tie in very well. But hell wasn't made for you and me. Hell was made for Satan and his demons. But when we have sin stained still across us, there is no hope. And those who die without Christ, there's no hope. Verse 18, it says it like this. Then those who also have fallen asleep, your brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, mothers and fathers, grandparents who've gone on to be with the Lord, or excuse me, who step into eternity, the verse that says in Bible to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord does not apply if there's not been a resurrection from the dead. Those who have fallen asleep, it says, they have perished. They are no longer. If Christ did not rise for, uh, for the justification of those who died in, in Him, Charles Hodge says, they found no advocate at the bar of God. They incurred the fate of those who perish in their sins. 
See, what the good news of the, of the resurrection brings us, it brings us hope from our own self-destructive ways. So we're not going to self-destruct. It brings us a, a freedom. It frees us from this self-destruction. I want to give you one more. The sixth way, reason we cannot live without a resurrected Christ is because pretty much we're pitiful otherwise. Literally, that's what the Bible says. We're to be pitied. Notice what it says up there on the, on the screen, verse 19. If, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. Really, if this is all there is, really, that's not much. Listen, if this is all there is, I'm telling you today, go live it up. All right? Listen, go kill the fatted calf, go eat, drink, and be merry. Do what you want to do if this is all there is. If you don't believe in the resurrection, Katie, bar the door, go do it. All right? That's what I'm telling you. If the resurrection is real, it should change us. Change the way we see things, the way we do things, the way we process life. Norman Vincent Peale was walking through the streets of Hong Kong in Kwadaloon, and he came across a tattoo parlor. And saw all this body art options that you could get if you go into this guy's tattoo parlor. And one of the, one of the tattoos that you could get put on your, on your body said, born to lose. Born to lose. Born to lose. That one caught Pill. That got, got him enough that he went into the store. And he asked this little frail store owner, he said, does anybody really ever get born to lose on them? In his broken English, he said this, before, as he's tapping himself on the forehead, before a tattoo on the body, a tattoo on the mind. I would love to spend 15 minutes with every person in this room and just ask you two or three questions. But if you could drop down your guard for about 15 minutes, and me look into your soul, and you look into mine, I would like to ask you, do you live with hope? Do you live in hope? Do you have a reason to get up? And I'm not just talking about making another buck, getting another job. Raising the kids. Do you have hope? See the good news. Christ gives us hope. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, your hope. Your hope. It's in Christ. You know, I, I wish this is something that I could share with everybody in the world, and I've certainly tried to do that as much as I can. But I share it with you today. And I hope it's not just another Easter message in one ear and out the other. But I hope you're deep, looking deeply at yourself and making sure you're in a relationship with Him. Artist, songwriter, poet Alfred Axley was talking to one of his Jewish friends one day. And he was asking him about his own faith. And, and they were talking, having this faith conversation back and forth. And and actually, his friend asked him, he said, point blank, 
Why should I worship a dead Jew? Why should I worship a dead Jew? Legitimate question. Again, I don't mind the tough questions. Why should I worship a dead Jew? And he he didn't have a good answer. He goes home. It troubled him that he didn't have an answer. Why? Again, the question why we're asking. He knew he wasn't dead. He knew he was alive, but he couldn't articulate it. So he goes home and he begins to write. He writes this poem that later becomes a song, that later becomes a hymn that many of us have heard and sang ourselves. He says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever man may say. I feel His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me ask you a question as you bow your head and close your eyes and block yourself out from any other distraction today. Here it is. Are you ready? Do you know, have you personally experienced, are you in a relationship with Jesus that you know that he lives because he lives within your heart? The power of Christ wants to dwell in you and through you throughout the days of your life. The power of the resurrection. It's a game changer. I want to pray for you today. I'll be hanging out here at the front. Randy will be hanging out here at the front. Lori's around. If you you want to pray with somebody, talk with someone, we're, we're available. But this is your time. Father God, here and now, in no small way, would you speak to our hearts. And show us where we stand in relationship with you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us?